Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. The fans have won already. What a spectacular week of competition we have seen. On this episode, it's Steve Batuzic, Jed Coughlin, and Sean Bellamure, the alcohol funny car world champ. And there is not a happier human being on planet Earth than the woman in that pro stock car. Pro modified pro stock and alky funny car. Goodbye, Snake, and hello, Ace. This is the NHRA Insider. And the wildest day in the history of this category is finally complete. Hey everybody, welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast. Going to be a fun show today. We have three great guests in the form of Sean Bellamure, the back-to-back and defending alcohol funny car world champion. We got Jay Coughlin joining us, who is off to a red-hot start, as are all the drivers in the Elite Motorsports camp and pro stock. And we have Steve Matuzic coming on to talk about his 2020 plans in the Pro Modified category and the new look for the E3 Spark Plugs NHRA Pro Mod Series in 2020 with the... Now wide open entry that pretty much anybody that wants to can enter the category. We've got a lot of great names coming both back into the fold and competing for their first time in the world of NHRA Pro Mod. So it's going to be fun to talk to those three racers once we get to our guests. Now this is an off weekend for NHRA Pro Stock and Pro Mod competitors. Alcohol funny car racers are competing around the country, but the biggest race this weekend happening for them is going to be in Gainesville. The famed Baby Gators, if you will, the prelude to, or the prelude, I should say, to the Gator Nationals. 51st running of those Emily Oil Gator Nationals in Gainesville. That'll be happening next weekend. We'll have our pre-Gainesville show specifically on the next edition of the podcast. So when we talk about what's going on in Gainesville this year, I think one of the most important things to bring up first are the names we have already seen on the entry list in a multitude of categories. We talk about pro stock. Vincent Nobile will be back driving for Elite Motorsports this weekend, looking to get to the bottom of that story to find out how many races he plans on running and kind of what his program is going to be in 2020. John Gadosh is back with a new team. They're going to run some uh, a, a schedule of multiple races this season. John, a kind of hard scrabble, great hard running Pro stock competitor, always did it on a very small budget. Now he's going to have high quality equipment, probably the best equipment of his career. Will be fun to see him letting the clutch pedal out. Bob Benza back in the pro stock category as well. We saw him once or twice last year. I have a feeling we'll see him more frequently during the 2020 campaign. In the Nitro Funny Car category, we see Dave Richards coming back out again. I feel like we're going to see a couple more names pop onto that funny car list this week as well. And then we go into the Pro Stock Motorcycle category in the fact that Chris Bostic is back. Now, Chris Bostic ran Pro Stock Motorcycle for several years. We saw him at the U.S. Nationals, and now we see him back in the Pro Stock Motorcycle category for the season start in Gainesville. A great sign that we'll see more of Chris Bostic. In Pro, rather in Top Fuel, really getting interesting in Top Fuel where we see Artie Allen making his Top Fuel debut. Allen was a Division II hard runner in the injected fuel ranks for years. He has had this top fuel car, I believe, for about a year. I remember the car getting certified last year and going to see Artie Allen in competition in Gainesville. And Paul Noakes, a guy who was a standout alcohol funny car racer in the IHRA days, ran some NHRA alcohol funny car stuff too. He is running top fuel at the Gator Nationals. Again, another name that we're seeing pop into top fuel a trend that we talked about starting in Pomona and we're going to see flush out over the course of the year and it's great again to see fresh names coming in or coming back into the top fuel category and then the other names we see restarting their seasons Lex June who has a revitalized top fuel operation 
They came out last year, ran, I believe, 10 races. I think he's planning on running 10 or 12 again in 2020, but his operation has been growing. They now have a big rig to tow their stuff in. No more dually truck and three-axle Jeff Gordon sprint car trailer like we've seen him. They have acquired sponsorship from Strutmasters, as well as several associate sponsorships like from Redline Oil and other companies. So Lex June, who has bootstrapped his way into the top fuel ranks in the United States, a former FIA champion in Europe, has the best artillery barrage, if you will, that he's ever had in his career in terms of equipment, parts and pieces, and apparently budget as well. So Gainesville will be the kickoff for many of those teams. Um, it'll be the kickoff for many East Coast racers seasons as well, and it's going to be really fun to see it all kind of take shape down there. The 50th running of that race during 2019 was spectacular. Multiple day sellouts. The Gator Nationals is one of the so-called majors, if you will. We talk about the major races, the Winter Nationals, the Gator Nationals, the U.S. Nationals. Um, you know, there's a lot of of majors in my mind on the tour, but the Gator Nationals really do stand as one of the, I would say, top three races in the world of NHRA Mellow Yellow Championship drag racing. So glad to see this race continuing the 51-year tradition it has had in terms of being a very hotbed for competition. Deep Stage. If you've not watched Deep Stage on YouTube, it's the NHRA's new chat show. We've made a couple of episodes of it. Lewis Bloom, myself, and Whit Bazemore are the uh, three principals on that show. If you've not seen it yet, make sure you hit the NHRA YouTube page and check it out. You can also check out a new series that we started to make and they have started to air on YouTube as well called the NHRA Time Machine. That is something that we worked on prior to the Winter Nationals when I was out in Pomona, California, out in the Glendora office. We made a lot of those at the Wally Park studio. Those will be starting to roll out. We've had a couple of them air already. Again, just go to the NHRA YouTube page. You can find all this great content there if you're sitting around doing nothing at work or you want to get a little bit of a fix for your drag racing habit. Another category that's uh, kind of been a topic of conversation at Gainesville is the factory stock showdown, the samtech.edu factory stock showdown. And this category is interesting to me in a couple of ways. How it has evolved over the last few seasons is something that some people are excited about, some people lament. And right now it is the Ford contingent that is, I don't want to say boycotting, but they're having a bit of a, a protest moment, if you will. There are 23 or 24 of those cars entered right now to compete at Gainesville. Only four of them are Fords. And as is the case with really any category that we have multiple combinations, multiple manufacturers, multiple engine styles in, there has been a lot of juggling with the rules, a lot of changing of the rules, a lot of adjustments made to try to keep parity between the Fords, the Dodges, and the Chevrolets. And right now, the Ford contingent is, uh, I guess, displeased with what has happened as far as the Chevrolets have gotten a new cylinder head or a revised cylinder head for 2020 in an effort to prevent those cars from having a head gasket issue, which they have had in the past, caused a couple of crashes where guys are going down the racetrack, the head gaskets push out, water gets underneath the tires, and cars crash. We've seen it happen multiple times. So my understanding is that the revised cylinder head has a little bit more clamping ability and should keep the gaskets more secure as these cars do make a fair amount of boost with their supercharged engines going down the track. And while it doesn't necessarily provide a performance advantage in terms of making more horsepower, it should help them be more reliable and perhaps safer going down the racetrack. The Chrysler contingent got a new supercharger to use, the same supercharger that the Fords have been using, a 3-liter blower. Uh, the 
size of the pulley, which determines how fast that supercharger spins and how much boost and power the engine makes, has been a bit of a, uh, I guess, sticking point, if you will, amongst the different fields or camps of cars that compete in this category. And one of the things I think that's interesting, and some people love it, some people dislike it, is the level of competition in this class in terms of the budget has really swelled over the the last couple years and has swelled very dramatically. When we saw some of the pro stock teams get involved in factory stock showdown, we saw a very severe kind of vertical escalation of investment in the class. Now, normally, um, it's never bad when people are investing and spending their money to go drag racing, specifically people that have the means to do so and certainly the means to help drive technology and drive performance. The only downside of it in a sportsman-style category like this, in my opinion, is that it begins to price out the majority of people who want to come and compete because unless you have a car that's capable of running down in the sevens, if you have a low eight-second car, if you have a car that goes 810 and the rest of the field is going 790, you're two-tenths off the field. And to have a factory stock showdown car capable of running 810 consistently is a massive investment. You're into this car for well over $100,000 to buy it from the manufacturer. Then the car basically gets taken apart and put back together again. Uh, parts are changed. Engine combinations are adjusted. You know Things are done. Engine builders get their hands on this stuff, and, and they make the necessary horsepower for you to compete. And I know a lot of really good racers that have these cars that have competed over the last couple of seasons that are basically discouraged enough that the stuff is either for sale or the stuff is parked right now. And stuff that is for sale or parked doesn't really do anything for anybody, especially for if you're a manufacturer, you want to see those cars on the racetrack. If you are a fan, you want to see those cars on the racetrack. Everybody wants to see the biggest car counts they can, the most competitive car counts they can see. And, you know, as of right now, I, I think... And I don't know what you can do because you can't legislate people spending money. You can make rules that specify the car has to be a certain way, has to use certain parts, has to do certain things. But you can't legislate a budget. There is no way to actively tell people you can only spend X amount of money per year. You can only develop X amount of engine revisions on the dyno. You can only spend so much money testing. You can't do that. And even if you tried, you'd fail because guys uh, very often find their way around any sort of legislation like that anyway. So with the factory stock showdown category, I don't quite know what the long-term future of that class is. I don't know what the long-term future is. We know that Dodge has built a new run or is building a new run of Challenger drag packs. Again, a good thing. The Ford Cobra Jet program is, in my understanding, basically on a hiatus at the moment. I don't believe they're going to produce a 2020 Mustang Cobra Jet, at least that is what I have heard from insiders. And the Chevrolet Camaro, as at this point, has not been renewed for a seventh generation, so I don't know exactly what happens next for the Copos. They are still making sixth generation Camaros and will continue until I believe 2021 or 2022 when that sixth generation car is slated to be discontinued. So, unless there is some sort of a major change there, um, we may be looking at a situation where these factory stock showdown cars are um, running a year or two behind in terms of their model year, which isn't the worst thing in the world. You know, Don Fazell will be racing at Gainesville with a 2008 Cobra Jet. His car is very fast. He has made the he has made the investment. He's made the changes, the tweaks to keep up with the class average, if you will. 
But it just seems to me that unless something changes in terms of what people are spending on this thing, it is on an unsustainable path. And this is my opinion only. But if you have teams that are going to spend a half a million, three quarters of a million dollars a year to compete in this category or categories like it, and you have guys that are successful people that have a budget of, let's say, 100000 200000 to spend, in the world of heads-up drag racing, Unfortunately, the math always favors the guy with the 700,000 bucks over the guy with the 200,000 bucks. Just the way that you can test and develop and work on your stuff and have full-time professional level people employed to maintain the machines. So maybe it's a, a bit of a pessimistic take that I have, but as of this point, I can't see what this class looks like in five years. And the NHRA has done their level best to reel this thing in. You know, we saw those cars going in the 760s not too long ago. And they have backed everybody up to be running in that 790 bracket right around eight seconds. That's the right thing in my mind. But again, you can't put a clamp on someone's wallet. So be very interested in watching Factory Stock Showdown. Engage yourself in watching Factory Stock Showdown. And kind of educate yourself as to the competitors, as to who's running what, how fast they're going, and who's being competitive and who isn't. Will we see a bunch of Fords enter the race this week? I hope we will. I'd love to see 32, 34, 36 of those cars trying to qualify for the 16 spots. Again, it makes it very interesting and fun. I just don't want to see this class run into a financial barrier where so many people feel that they've been priced out that they just can't compete any longer. So let's keep our eyes on that. Hopefully this thing finds a level at some point and we see that participation level maintain or grow. And hopefully the Ford contingent And really all three of the major factors involved in this category are able to come to some sort of uh, detente, if you will, and able to race. You know, they're never going to love each other. We don't want them to love each other. But we also want to make sure that there's an equal playing field. And that's what the NHRA Tech Department has been working so hard to produce. Much to the dismay of some and to the delight of others, which is how anything involving the Tech Department works. Some people love the changes that get made. Some people hate them. So Factory Stock Showdown, the samtech.edu Factory Stock Showdown class um, on the lines of Pro Modified is existing and is becoming more popular because of this controversy, because people are so far invested in their own particular favorite brand. So let's just watch and see how it plays out at Gainesville, watch and see who's on the entry list and who isn't, and then we'll watch and see this class evolve over the next couple of years. I just hope, and again, my own personal opinion, I hope that the hardcore successful sportsman racer doesn't necessarily get shoved out in the cold by people that are able to outspend them five and ten to one just my opinion we'll find out what it looks like as the class continues to evolve all right we're going to go to the pro stock category first our first guest on this show jay coughlin jr who announced his retirement just like jason line did at the end of the 2020 campaign and he calls it the breaking barriers tour and so far he's been breaking backs he was the winner at the Winter Nationals. He came out in Arizona and just absolutely outran everybody by a country mile in qualifying. And by the end of the weekend, his Elite Motorsports crew had snugged it up on him. He had kind of a wild one. He was one of the racers that fell victim to the curse of Bo Butner. Bo Butner raced Erica in the final round at Arizona. We had Erica on the show last week. She talked about winning the race. But first, let's welcome Jake Coughlin Jr. onto the NHRA Insider Podcast for the second time. Hey, Jake, what's going on? Not much, man. Just, uh, you know, looking out the windows here at the Jags headquarters in Delaware, Ohio, a little gray, uh, windy, rainy day, but, uh, you know, things should, uh, 
change in just a few days as we head south for uh, Orlando and and uh, the big uh, door slammer nationals. So uh, excited to uh, not only get some runs and some testing in there, but uh, ideally uh, challenge for a big purse win there and, and then uh, move on to Gator Nationals. Yeah, there hasn't been a lot of clouds over your season so far in 2020. I mean, uh, obviously coming out strong at the uh, at the Winter Nationals, the car was very strong at Phoenix, didn't end up uh, panning out for you in the end, but still another strong yep. weekend. And I guess the first question I have for you regarding the race you're heading to this weekend, the uh, the World Door Slammer Nationals, you know, you've been a bracket racer for your whole life, and you have been in situations where there's been big money on the line. A lot of these other guys haven't. So talk to me a little bit about the mentality um, that you may need to have and maybe a slightly different mentality than running a national event at this thing, right? Because no points involved, just cash. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I think with this group, I, you know, not to uh, – you know, drown the drama much, but I, I don't really see uh, see this being the money side of it being a big factor for the race on Sunday. Uh, for some reason, I just just don't foresee that. I mean, you know, probably uh, 30 percent of the qualified cars in pro stock, plus or minus, uh, have been world champions. Uh, you know, in the la- in this millennium, so uh, you know, a check of you know what could be a single run win or lose a uh, check for, you know, of quarter of a million dollars uh, has probably already been at, <laughs> at stake at some point in time. So, um, you know, performing on TV, performing in front of the crowds, we do, et cetera. I think all kind of dilute, I don't want to say dilute. That's not the right word, yeah, but it, it, it conditions you guys to kind of force that stuff out of your mind, I guess. Correct. So, but to, to the race at hand uh, in the world door slammer nationals, I think it's a great, uh, you know, what, what kind of turned uh, morphed potentially from, uh, you know, a weekend of, of kind of advertised testing in Orlando to the single highest day payout in pro stock and pro mod history uh, is morphed into that. So uh, I'm, I'm interested. I'm very excited. Uh, you know, I know, uh, you know, Drag Illustrated and, and Elite Performance and uh, has had great hopes for for the event uh you know from a fan base side of it there's been been a lot of chatter on on uh, in the chat rooms about it and i think we're going to have great crowds and and we know the racing is going to be second to none on track with uh you know the caliber of uh, pro modified cars that will be there and the caliber of pro stock cars so um i think it's going to be going to be a lot of fun and, and like you said i mean there is a lot of money on the run on the line uh you know just this past summer i've found myself you know, down to four cars and, and arguably what was the highest paid yeah. drag race in history to that point, uh, in Martin, Michigan, the SFG, uh, or SFG 500, as they called it, but they paid 525,000 to the winner. Uh, you know, we found ourselves at, at, uh, the semifinals, four of us standing after 700 plus <laughs> entries. And there was, just over $400,000 in the pot at that point in time. So, uh, you know, I'm not complaining a bit, but, you know, <laughs> I, I got eliminated in that semifinal round. I just didn't get to the finish line by one one thousandth of a second. Uh, that's the way the racing is. And, and, and then I was extremely excited. I mean, it's the biggest single day payout I've ever had in my racing career, minus winning a season championship on sure. that day. So that was that was pretty exciting. And then I did the quick calculation of the transition between semifinalist and second place. And I was like, wow, that was, that was a really, 
90 plus thousand dollar round that, uh, you know, may have, uh, slipped out under us by one, one thousand of a second. So, uh, I still couldn't hang my hat even after uh, processing that. So, uh, yeah, there, there's, there's a lot of big race races going on right now, uh, mainly in the bracket, bracket racing world, uh, which is just phenomenal. And, uh, yeah, I look to uh, hit a couple of those, uh, yet this uh, 2020 counter season and, and uh, see if we can't mix it up again. You know, I think uh, your 2020 campaign here, the Breaking Barriers Tour, we talk a lot about all the things you've accomplished in your career and, and kind of celebrating those things over the course of this season. You're going to uh, take a step away from the driver's seat in Pro Stock after the season closes up. But how cool is it to have this opportunity for this race in this particular context of this season you're having now? In, in particular, this, you know, Breaking Barriers, man. If, if you can win <laughs> this kind of single biggest, you know, individual race payout in Pro Stock history, it is another nod in a belt that already has a lot of notches in it and I feel like if this was next year and you were not part of the class next as you plan to be next year you'd be sitting at home kind of wincing a little bit being man I wish I would have had a shot at that thing but now you do <laughs> hey I might still have one next year you never know but uh you know Richard Freeman's always got uh, keys on the dash in, in his shop uh true and that's that's certainly no foreshadowing but <laughs> to the point uh no, this, this could be a huge win. There, there's not anyone in the pro stock field that can say they've won this event. So uh, it's the inaugural. And uh, as you mentioned, we've had quite a hot start to the 2020 season um, performance-wise with the announcement of, of me stepping away from the full-time racing. And, uh, you know, with the, with just a commanding win in Pomona was, uh, you know, with probably the single most dominant car I've had in my 20 plus year career in pro stock was uh i don't know it was just you couldn't have written a script any better for pomona fast forward a couple of weeks to uh phoenix number one qualifier through all three sessions uh but i could also see uh old red next to me with with erica's car just <laughs> i you know i can see the quality of runs they make because yeah. we all share the same data and, and workspace and uh i was even telling uh, some of my family i said uh, you know we're we're experiencing some, some great uh, performances here, but I can see my teammates uh, are going to be uh, chomping away at that really, really quickly. And uh, we saw that as Saturday, we only had the one run Saturday and then uh, Sunday uh, we all woke up to uh, some very competitive pro stock racing. And, and unfortunately for me, my day ended up ended a little short with just a little bit of a mishap in the, in the pit uh, that ended up uh, hampering our performance on track, which was a self-inflicted wound, quite honestly. And, you know, I, I've been touting uh, for two races, you know, how important it is and how fortunate we've been to, you know, not only uh, have a great race car, but the team and the leadership of Ricky Jones has, has made flawless runs. And, and uh, that's what it takes to win. And in, in this case, we just had a little blemish and, and it, uh, it kept us from, you know, being in contention. So, uh, you know, fortunately we were next to our teammate, Alex Laughlin. He was uh, picked up his performance uh, greatly, uh, you know, from Friday and Saturday going into Sunday and uh, knew we'd have our hands full and, uh, uh, as it turns out, uh, you know, he had a pretty easy win. We had a little bit of a head start uh, on him there, leaving the line and, uh, looked to be marching off to a pretty good run, but, uh, uh, our issues set in and, and, uh, away he went. You know, I think pro stock fans, and, and I'm not saying this to, uh, you know, our, to our top fuel and nitro funny car fans and pro mod fans listening, I'm not saying this to demean anybody, but I feel like the hardcore pro stock fans really do understand the nuances of drag racing and the nuances of the cars that you drive in that category perhaps better than, than maybe other fans 
understand the nuance of those other categories. So when we see you leave the racetrack on on Friday with a 300s advantage over the field, um, it, to me, it was the most impressive thing I've seen in pro stock in years. And granted, you know, it's not a race win. It's not a championship. But if you're a hardcore pro stock fan, we have not seen something like that happen in a very long time. And, you know, and it goes back not just to the setup of the car, but it goes back to something that, you know, Bruno Massel talked about when he was in the booth with me making the race. And the fact that, you know, you yourself are driving on this uh, very high level, which you always have, but they're talking about you being within like 15 or 30 RPM of the shift points, which is to me like superhuman, man. It's crazy. Yeah, it's uh, just been in a good groove, you know, and I, I'm sure if, uh, if you came in and looked at our graph, there would be a suspect of some sort of an auto shift, but uh, <laughs> you know, I've got plenty of runs that we can pull up and Ricky can pull them up that uh, we can assure you there was not of, of any sort. Uh, you know, you know, when things go well, uh, you know, everyone's confidence gets better. Um, I've got the utmost in confidence right now with, with Ricky and the team. And, and that's, that, you know, blends over into my performance too. And, and it can go both ways. We've, we've experienced that quite a bit in the last four or five years together. And right now we're uh, on a, on a pretty good ride. We'll, we'll uh, kind of shrug Phoenix off. And, and uh, as we prepare for Orlando this weekend, uh, I know Ricky's going to be extremely aggressive as we have been, you know, uh, in, in the entire countdown and in the closing of 19 and, uh, you know, kind of transition that same mentality into the 2020 season. And, and, uh, you know, but we've, we've got some fast cars under our awnings and, uh, and I'm certainly not discounting any of our competitors. Uh, the KB group certainly isn't done. Uh, they're as motivated as ever right now to get their performance up and, uh, naturally, uh, with, with our performance. So, uh, it, it's going to be a dog fight as it always is. And, but that's what makes it fun for, uh, the pro stock contingent and for the fans that, that enjoy it. So, uh, you know, come on, come on, let's go. It's going to be going to be a great couple of weeks here. Other than the, you know, the obvious factors of it being more fun to show up at the racetrack with a car that is as fast as, as all the elite cars are right now, what else can you contrast with, you know, the years, uh, we'll call it the brand X year where things by, you know, really second, third race in the season, um, it was clear that, that you guys were in trouble in terms of, of making the raw horsepower needed to be competitive during that season. And if we can just talk a little bit about, the two ends of the spectrum here because clearly when you have a situation now like you guys you got it going on there is an incredible almost a symphonic nature of what you guys are doing amongst all the cars Mm -hmm. under the elite banner versus then and is it a difference of do you have to keep throwing the spaghetti at the wall when you when you don't necessarily have the power to compete versus now where you can just make those finite adjustments i mean just talk a little bit about that um what it means to show up to the racetrack kind of knowing that you have um a weapon capable of doing what it needs to do versus one where you know you're going to have to super extend yourself to even get some sort of representative performance out of it yeah it was a small miracle uh yeah that was <laughs> you know that was uh certainly you know when, when that program came together with Mopar and Dodge for the 2016 season. Uh, we never in our wildest dreams uh, felt like we'd be in a, in a performance deficit standpoint with yeah. the quality of, of partners involved. Uh, but as, as things kind of played out and uh, you know, the material items that are needed to, to build championship winning teams weren't being uh, weren't available and yeah. not, 
plumbing available very quickly from from our partner uh it, it put us behind quickly and um so like you said i mean you know you can have the best car in the world and and the best driver in the world and still not make it work out well and in this case you know we were we were that three or four hundreds behind the lead car and you know it just took that uh, that small miracle to to you know have that gamesmanship on the starting line or that you know, that fluky break that you really don't count on, but that's what we were scraping for uh, throughout that season. And, uh, but Richard Freeman, you know, true to his cloth. I mean, he, he, he worked extremely hard on that program, uh, spent a lot of R and D money to, uh, to get the program up to where, where it needed to be all the while under our, under our other awnings, you know, our Chevrolet program of which uh, came out of the, Jeg stable just a couple of years before that, yeah. um, you know, was singing pretty decently with <laughs> right. at the time, uh, Vincent Nobile, uh, primarily maybe one other lack of uh, memory here, but, um, so yeah, I mean, we, we muscled our way through, through the season and, and elected as a team to transition into the, into the Chevrolet brand. And, and, um, and that, that has helped us tremendously, you know, having one format to work on. I say one format at that time as it's developed, uh, you know, there's been, you know, there's a DRCE2, there's a oh, DRCE3, yes. DRCE4 uh, block cylinder head combination. And, and there's combinations there within uh, where the two works with the four and et cetera. Uh, and Richard Freeman and, and Jay Kerriston and, and the entire staff at elite performance has, uh, continue to uncover and uncover. And uh, that's what we've started to enjoy as we've come into the winter of 19 and 20 and uh, kicked off 20. And, and that is continuing to fine tune uh, the best of all breeds uh, in the GM power plant and then just continually refining it. And uh, that's, uh, that's hard work. And there, there's no, uh, no other way of going about it other than research and development. And it's, uh, you know, one of the few classes still that, uh, you know, the tens and tens of thousands of dollars can yield you, you know, a thousandth or two or three, or in some cases a hundredth or so. And uh, right now we're, uh, we're uh, enjoying that hundredth or so plus. So one last question before I let you go. And, you know, we look at, and it's only the second race we're heading into the third race of the year. I get all that, but we look at, you know, funny car, there's a 45 point spread between one and two top fuel. There's a 59 point spread between one and two in pro stock. There is a six point spread between one and two. And that's uh, Erica as one and you six points behind in the number two spot. Is there a value in your mind to have a tight points race leading you into the playoffs at the end of the season. Meaning does it, does it always remind you that you can't give an inch because we have seen, you know, we've seen situations where um, guys have come into the countdown with massive points leads and then not necessarily stumble, but it has been more of a struggle than when it was tight. And I feel like as a competitor and I'm not one, (laughs) I'm a paid spectator, but I feel like as a competitor, there is some value in, in knowing right up to the end that there is somebody right behind you at all times. Yeah, well, uh, pro stock, you know, in recent years is just that. I mean, there is nothing you can count on. Uh, just, you know, evidence of our performance here in in, in Phoenix with a commanding car again. But, uh, you know, fast forward to your point, um, you know, this is this is one thing that uh, you know we've worked on over the winter internally, uh, and I say internally uh, between the years that, uh, you know, there is nothing you can take for granted. There is. Uh, 
really very little uh, room for making a run through the subconscious and, and getting away with it very often. Um, and those are things that I've personally found myself guilty of looking in the very near past uh, and um, reflecting on my countdown experience in, in 2019 there was a couple of races where i just had some extremely close you know foul i had a i, I think yeah. a two thousand one yep. two or three thousand foul against fernando quadrat at four i was sitting in a brand new car i'd never driven before at reading and and just was getting more and more comfortable each and every run not that's not an excuse that i sure. felt like i had everything covered but um you know you find yourself uh, then getting uh you know complacent or lazy and 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 i uh, have reflected in uh, really putting an effort, uh, you know, toward my last season here to try and keep my eyes dotted, my T's crossed. And, you know, you're going to have situations without question, but uh, there is no room for error. And, uh, and, you know, making that, uh, you know, 040 or 050 run with a car next to you that can run an ET with you or better is just uh, not not going to last very long. You'll get away with, a, you know, one out of 100 now instead of, uh, you know, every couple of runs. So um, I'm looking forward to the season. It's going to be a great challenge, uh, as I said, uh, from within. And uh, I'm really reflecting on that to uh, have great results with my team and, and, and at the same time enjoy this uh, – you know, my last season behind the wheel of a pro stock car to embrace that with the memories I've made. Uh, Cause God dang, there's been so, so <laughs> many I've uh, you know, I'll find myself, you know, not to continue on here, but you know, find myself, I've got a tro- trophy set up in the lower level of our home and I'll find myself just sitting on a chair there and, and just, having flashback memories of different events uh, that are on these trophies and, and high points and low points, even within events uh, uh, with the same name on it. And uh, just, uh, it's been amazing uh, to the point, but uh, you know, I'm excited about the 2020 year for that reason too, to be able to enjoy that with the fans. Cause uh, you know, that literally the tens and thousands, hundreds of thousands of fans we've, we've, uh, and I say we've, the team Jigs has uh, corralled, you know, in the last two, two and a half decades uh, has been tremendous. So really the last 60 years with my father's racing as well, because there's a lot of his fans that have jumped on board with my brothers and I. And, and uh, you know, I'm a ride off in the sunset kind of guy. Don't typically make a lot of waves. And, and I wait on that a lot uh, coming into 2020 and, 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 uh, elected uh you know around SEMA time that you know I, I i do plan to make an announcement and obviously i'm gonna commit to it and uh because i think a lot of our friends and fans uh, certainly deserve that and, and we can have fun with it together and we already are very cool man a guy who has always done his talking with his left foot and his right hand going down the drag strip in the hot rod he's sitting in so jake thanks for taking some time with us good luck uh in trying to capture the biggest single day payout in pro stock drag racing history and i look forward to running into you in the pits in gainesville and uh, what we can change now thanks man likewise brian thank you always really love catching up with Jay Koff when he's introspective, especially maybe even more so in this 2020 campaign, knowing what is at stake for him and what's coming at the end of it. As, as he mentioned, he rides off into the sunset of pro stock history. We now move on to a guy who has made some pro mod history as one of the instrumental leaders of the former Real Pro Mod Association, a guy who had a big impact on changing the face of NHRA Pro Mod for the 2020 season. We welcome Steve Matuzic onto the NHRA Insider Podcast for the first time. 
Great. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing well, man. Now, I know you're on the road like so many ProMod competitors this weekend heading down to Orlando for the World Door Slammer National. So uh, you got to be excited to be kicking off your season this weekend. Well, we are. Um, you know, we're, we're uh, way behind the eight ball, um, but that's okay. I mean, we'll have plenty of time to test in Orlando and, and hopefully get our act together, not just for the, uh, the Nationals in Orlando, but uh, for Gainesville. Yeah, so I want to talk to you about, um, you know, the Pro Mod season here in 2020 and kind of what we can look for and really your role in helping shape this because it was at the U.S. Nationals last year that uh, the, the wheels really got turning and it was shortly thereafter the announcement got made that, you know, it wasn't going to be a situation where you had to be a part of the real Pro Mod Association anymore and it really opened the floodgates up to a lot of new faces in the class. So I want to talk to you about kind of that moment in Indy and how you feel about going into this 2020 season with a new outlook for ProMod? Well, the, the RPM was established um, specifically to incubate the ProMod class and, and assist NHRA in trying to find appropriate levels of sponsorship, uh, get participation up. And, you know, it just was generally an effort to try to assist NHRA. I mean, get that big boat moving in the right direction, sure. to accept the class, adopt it, make it their own. And, and you're right, uh, the pinnacle of what we were trying to accomplish was achieved uh, at U.S. Nationals when, when Danny Rowe, who was instrumental in, in getting RPM uh, started with, with myself and John Waldy, um, he backed out because he was no longer racing. And we said, hey, look, NHRA, now it's time. It's time for you guys to take this over. It's your class. It's got a lot of momentum. There are a lot of people that are very excited. And uh, we sat down, and they were very excited to take it over. And here we are. Right? It took, kind of took the gloves off. Now we have a lot more participation, a lot of new faces, a lot less stringent requirements in order to run NHRA Pro Mod, and we're excited about the future. Yeah, and I am too. And, you know, having been around this class for a long time when I worked at IHRA and, of course, with the NHRA, um, you know, seeing some of the names that are coming in uh, and I guess coming in for the, some for the first time and some for the first time in a long time, I see Kenny Lang's coming back. We see guys like Scott Wildgust out of Canada, Jeff Jones and his son coming in from Texas. Um, it really, it's really cool to see what, in my opinion, is now this is really, in my, in my eyes, turning into kind of the all star team and kind of the all star level of Pro Mod racing. A lot of great series across the country, but now that it's uh, kind of an open season on entry, I think it really does. It raises the profile level for a lot of regional guys that get to stretch their legs now. I, I agree completely. I mean, we were harnessed with the with the profile of um, being the type of a, an association that you had to be part of the club or you had to be in the fraternity in order to race. And and, and unfortunately, that that was you know the cloak that was over us. Now that we we dropped that paradigm. And, and we have the opportunity to bring in some new names, some regional guys, open up the floodgates to some new cars, some new faces, some new uh, power adders, some new programs. It's an exciting time. And, and I think, let's face it, I mean, everybody, I don't care what series you run in, everybody is measuring themselves against NHRA. I mean, I, I feel personally uh, that this is the creme de la creme. The rules are the tightest. The tracks aren't necessarily the best. You can't use traction control. There's a lot of things that, that make this series a lot more difficult. 
And I think everybody that runs any other series or that has a ProMod card judges themselves against this particular series. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, I feel personally like, you know, the role of RPM in getting us to this point, as you mentioned earlier, I want to reinforce this point, was instrumental because, honestly, uh, there, this class always had a, a level of uncertainty around it for a, for a stretch of, I don't know, 10 years plus where it was like we didn't even know if we were going to be able to see ProMods at our races on a year-to-year basis. And then the ability to form RPM and the ability to take what was an unstable entity make it stable and then grow it is ultimately the legacy you know that Danny Rowe I think uh, leaves very very heavy on this class in a great way so if we start to look at uh, what you're going to be working on here for your 2020 campaign uh, let's talk about your program I think you're starting the season in a different car than you ended in so I want to talk about what's going on with the with the aeromotive team this year and what you're going to be driving well I, you know <laughs> I don't know if it's me um, or the team or my life or what, but you know, change is inevitable, right? But it's, it's always thrust upon me. And, and again, I don't know if that change that's inevitable is, is because of me or because of the people I surround myself with, but, but, uh, you know, we went from a blower car in 2018 to the, the turbo car in 2019, which we had about two or three test hits on it prior to getting to Gainesville last year to a car with a pro charger in it that I've never even sat in yet, which is going to meet me in Orlando. And oh, by the way, the rig uh, broke down yesterday. So now it's in a repair station. So we're already behind the eight ball. So I, my, my goal is to at least sit in the car before Q1 in Orlando. <laughs> so, so, uh, so yeah, that's, that's kind of where we're at. And thank, thank God for, for Richard Freeman because he's been a great partner. And, and I had a, a pretty nasty fire last year in the turbo car in Vegas. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we decided to go with a five-star body and, and, and upgrade the car a little bit and put a, but I think it's a 2017 style body on it. Nice. And we're real excited about that. But as things go, the body was late getting there. And now, you know, just putting a body on a burnt car is not a two week, you know, uh, ordeal. I mean, this, this is a lot of, a lot of things had to change. I mean, the eight pillars had to be moved and changed. The crossbar had to be changed. You know, it's going to be beautiful, but the car was not quite ready yet. So about seven to ten days ago, we were kind of like Richard's like, hey, I have a pro stock car or maybe (laughs) shoot in the pro. So I thought, "Hmm, I love pro stock, but I'm really a pro my guy. So let's go for the pro charger combination, which having ATI pro charger about seven miles from where I live, is not a bad uh, combination. I mean, I've been wanting to work with those guys since I started racing, and uh, to, to have the opportunity to, to run a Pro Charger combination um, for the first two races of the year, I'm really excited about it. And who knows, maybe we'll stick that stuff on the Mustang down the road. You never know. Yeah, you never you never know. And, you know, I'd like to get your take, too, on, you know, NHRA not only opening up the gates for people to enter this category, but now we have two different sizes of nitrous engines. You can run a 903, you can run a 959 at varying weights. You can now run, as, you're, as you mentioned, and you will be driving uh, the centrifugal supercharger on these cars. So I guess talk to me a little bit about that side of things, the technical side of it. Uh, do you think the tech department will all, like Jacob from tech is about 24 years old, I think he will have gray hair by the time we get done with Gainesville. Well, I mean, you look at look at classes like Comp Illuminator. I mean, ProMod, you know, let's, yeah, there, there are several different combinations, but it's nothing like Comp Illuminator that I think for each different classification is a different combination, right? What right. do they have, about 50 different combinations? Exactly. So so I think NHR is, is very well versed at handling this. I mean, I think 
I think the rule package and trying to figure out the parity aspect of it was the, was the most difficult part, just because there are people, um, Ricky Smith, that I won't mention, that uh, Ricky Smith uh, do sandbag, and uh, people like Ricky Smith, uh, you know, never show their hand, and I think that's kind of evident by what a 903 ran, and we all know what a 903 combination ran that Stevie Foss got his hands on here a few yeah. weeks ago, actually not even a week ago. Um, so, so I think that's the concern is that they didn't want to have a combination out there that would dominate. They wanted to figure out how to do it uh, appropriately and, and have parity on day one. And, and I got to tell you, it's, it's going to be tough for them to make the adjustments because invariably different tracks cater to different combinations. So, so I, think that, uh, I think that the Pro Charger cars will run well. Um, I think that the 959s um, will run well. I think the 903s will run well. The, the cars, to, to be honest, and, and I'm not trying to, to blow smoke up uh, anybody's, you know, uh, anal passage, if you will. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, the the turbo cars are, are struggling right now. I mean, taking those three pounds of boost away from them was tough. And, and I think we had one of the best cars at the end of last year. Yeah. And uh, that car was on the ragged edge. So we got to figure out how to get those things to be competitive. I think we were slow five to seven hundreds over some of the best roots cars, but that's okay. I mean, I, I think that's part of the challenge. That's part of what I enjoy is taking those oddball combinations and figuring out how to optimize them and, and make them competitive. And uh, I think NHRA does have a, a, a tall task in front of them, but I think they're, they're equipped and ready to make, you know, some, some quick uh, modifications to the different power adder combinations if need be. Yeah, I think you know one of my favorite aspects of ProMod, and 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 it the reason I think that we see more and more people walking up into the grandstands when you guys are coming to the starting line than we see going off to to get themselves a beer or something like that is you know this idea that that these cars do connect with people not only because of how they look. I mean, they look like overgrown Hot Wheels cars, of course, but the fact is like a lot of hot rodders at home have nitrous on their car. A lot of people at home have centrifugal superchargers. I feel like you know as much as it is a a, a workload and a headache to balance all this stuff i really feel like including the different power adder types that that guys are actually using on their street cars is very important because you know as well as i do that helps with the loyalty aspect that people will cheer for the guy the car that is using the stuff they will or the old time guys all cheer for the nitrous cars or the kids tend to cheer for the twin turbo stuff because they're turbocharging everything these days and having all four of them now is is super important i think it was relevant and necessary you know, you, you hit the nail on the head. That that was part of the discussions that we had with NHRA is that, hey, look, you know, Procharger and, and centrifugal superchargers and Vortec and, and companies like those, their, their core business is the street performance market. And to have a relevant power adder that the guy in the stands can cheer for um, was, was part of our whole, you know, turbos. Those are relevant. You can get them in, in uh, you know, brand new cars yeah. and, and you can buy packages to outfit your daily driver and it's a reliable performance adder. You know, nitrous, not so much. I mean, it caters to a different audience. And the root-style blowers, albeit cool, and, and you do see roots blowers on, on cars coming coming out of the factory, It's it doesn't have the, the intrigue to the younger generation. And I think the younger generation really looks toward centrifugal superchargers and turbos. So I think we're, we're hitting on all cylinders right now from the standpoint of catering to a broad appeal so that we get more people wanting to come in and be part of what we're doing. And you're right, now now you have a lot of groups that are going to be cheering for different aspects. And, and my goal with this whole process is to cover every food group. I mean, in the past two years, sure. I've got three of them. 
I, the only car I haven't driven so far is a Nitrous car. So, <laughs> so if, I, if I get in that one, I should have everybody in the stands cheering for me, right? I mean, that's the goal. That's it. Yeah, you're like the UN of Pro Mod. You're, you're appealing to yeah, every absolutely. single, every single, every single category out there. I, I absolutely. Li- I really enjoy your perspective on this class because you come from a different angle than a lot of people. In the fact that you know, Aeromotive Fuel Systems, a company you founded more than 25 years ago now, um, makes a lot of the you know makes fuel system parts for everything from the guys running their upgraded you know make if you're going to put a nitrous kit in your car or something you need to upgrade the fuel system a lot of these guys are running your parts so you also build parts that are on uh, a lot of these a lot of these pro mod cars and a lot of heavy duty drag race cars so how does that kind of experience how does that parlay into what you're doing out here in terms of on a normal weekend do you have people tapping you on the shoulder every once in a while for fuel system advice and or hey can you come look at this you know, it, 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 I do, and it's invaluable. I mean, to, to be involved and engaged at my level and to see all the different combinations and to see all the problems because that's that's our company was built on solving problems. And, uh, you know, problems uh, turn into solutions, and those solutions turn into a product. And, and to be, you know, heavily engaged and see it firsthand and have a lot of the crew chiefs come to me and talk about it and show me their data um, and, and make the product better based on real world conditions, that's been invaluable. And, and that's that's really been, been our key to success is, is being intimate with not just ProMod, but all the other forms of racing. And, and now with the advent of Waterman, now we're even seeing a broader appeal of cars and a broader range of vehicles that allow us to really dig in, understand what the racers are seeing, understand what the crew chiefs are seeing. You know, a lot of instances we see Band-Aids that they're trying to put on these systems in order to achieve what they want to achieve and we're able to come in with an engineering perspective and a methodical approach and, and come up with a solution that is that is um, more more available to what they're doing and it, and it truly is something that uh, is reputable is not cost prohibitive and, and it allows everybody to perform um, at their best without worrying about parts attrition and and again that's that's been our, our motto for forever and and, and we love this opportunity, and it's it's been a great uh, a great growth uh, spurt for us and for the class itself. Yeah, I think it's cool, and I think when we look at the high performance aftermarket as it continues to evolve, really uh, at this point on a weekly basis, with how companies are structured and who owns who and who's involved with what, the fact that you know to me all the the the, the great brands we talk about in drag racing or in motorsports were all built off of the idea of like you said problem solving but also the at the hands-on approach so the fact that it's still happening for you guys to, to this level is uh is pretty cool and and i know a lot of the racers certainly uh certainly appreciate the, the hands-on approach and the fact that listen man you're an engineer and you're not just a guy who's uh you know stroking a stroking a pen across paperwork on your desk you're actually hands-on developing this stuff so it's uh it's a unique perspective you bring on that level as well all right i'm gonna hold your feet to the fire here what's it gonna take what's the bump spot gonna be at gainesville give me a give me a give me a number oh man what last year i think we were 17th with a 76 is that you probably know better than i do um that and 17th is not a good number (laughs) but uh, (laughs) but uh, this year um i have to say with the number of cars and the pro chargers and the, the rule changes um I think the weather looks like it's going to be relatively cool. It's not going to be, you know, ridiculously hot. I, I've got to say it's going to be a 74 with a two as a ball. Oh, you're going all the way to the thousands. Man, that's uh, that's oh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, when I was with Danny Rowe, we used to all, every every event, um, we used to all put $5 into a pot for the bump spot. 
uh, and for low low okay. qualifiers. So so this is not this is and and I got to tell you in the probably three years I think I won once. <laughs> so so whoever's listening, don't if I say a seventy four with a two, you might want to say a seventy eight or a seventy two. So don't don't go by what I say. Yeah, it it um it, it's to me the it's what I'm super excited about with Promot of Gainesville is that. I do feel like it's it's going to be a bit of a Wild West situation in qualifying in terms of especially those top four or five spots. I think we're going to see some some people make big swings over the course of those those qualifying sessions. Uh, obviously, we're going to find out how how willing uh, the 960 contingent and how willing the centrifugal supercharger contingent is to bear their to bear their swords at this first race. So it's going to be fun to watch, and it's it's a unique thing, man, because we don't we don't have a lot of that in NHRA drag racing where you walk into the gate and you don't quite know what you're going to see. And that to me is an element of drag racing. That's super important. I think it's why classes like radio versus the world are still so popular is because you really don't know what you're going to see. We know on a cool day, we're going to see top fuel cars run in the three sixties. We know that on a good weather day, we're going to see great funny car runs in the low three eighties, but uh, we really don't know what we're going to see out of the E3 spark plugs, pro mod cars in Gainesville. And that, uh, that's what keeps us all smiling, right? I, I can tell you this much, Brian, and, and, this is our plan. We're not, um, you know, if there's more left in the tank, we're going to leave it out there because here's the thing. I'm, I'm going to be in a pro charger car uh, for sure for two races. Okay. And then uh, we're hoping to bring, um, bring the Mustang back for Charlotte. So it's in my best interest to destroy the record if we can <laughs> with a pro charger car. We're, gonna, we're not going to melt it, but if we get close to it and nip a couple of plugs, that's the goal is we want to go out there. We want to run 920 down low. We want to run 254 out the back door. And if we could put some 550s up with that combination and take home the trophy, trust me, there will be no lifting at, at 1,200 feet. This thing is running out the back door. If, a, if we have the combination figured out, which is a tall task, but if we're close, uh, trust me, there will be no sandbagging on the elite aeromotive team going into Gainesville. Spoken like the son of a great competition eliminator racer who would dive bomb the record at the end of the season. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Steve Matuzic, Miramotive Fuel Systems, racer in the E3 Spark Plugs Pro Mod category and a guy who's been instrumental in bringing the class to where it is today. Thanks for taking some time on your trip. I wish you all the luck in the world this weekend in Orlando, and I will see you in the pits in Gainesville. And if you are incorrect about that bump spot, I will come and steal one of the beers out of your trailer. I'm sure we'll be talking. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Thanks, buddy. Take care. So our next guest joining the NHRA Insider Podcast for the very first time, he is the defending and back-to-back NHRA Alcohol Funny Car World Champion, Sean Bellamure. Sean, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. Uh, looking forward to being back on the road and getting back in the car. It's, uh, it's been a long winter. Yeah, I was going to say, I think after any championship season, the last thing you want to do is stop racing, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, it, and it's just it, it, one of the best uh, best pieces of advice I've ever gotten was uh, was, you know, when you're fighting for a championship, it's it's a marathon it isn't a sprint so you know it's come time for the end of the year in Pomona and everything's done it it is nice to take that break but you know oh, Steve Boggs got that car going so fast I, <laughs> I, I want to drive I, I want to drive it to the to the grocery store you know it's it's a uh, it's a hell of a lot of fun and I've uh, I've really missed it it's it's going to be great to be back you are on your way down to Gainesville for the what we call the Baby Gators, the big divisional race that, uh, or the regional race, I should say, that runs the week before the Gator Nationals. Uh, traditionally, is this where you guys normally kick it off? 
yeah, you know, it's um, it's the car being based in on the East Coast. You know, I mean, they, they say California. Well, I'm the only one from California, right. <laughs> so I'm the one actually doing the traveling here. But you know, it's it's number one more convenient. Number two is uh, you know, Bob's has always run well in, in Gainesville, and and Tony and Steve have had a lot of success over the years, and so. We, uh, you know, it's a good place to start. They have a test session here. Which we're actually gearing up for tomorrow, and uh, and we're gonna uh, give give it our best. Try and try and do it again. You know, I think one of the the hallmarks of your guys' team, and one of the reasons you've had the back to back world championship success you've had, is a, a consistency not just in the race car, but in the people that actually put their hands on that thing on a week to week and race to race basis. Is that going to continue in terms of manpower for 2020? The same group of guys working on that thing. Yeah, we've uh, actually had the addition of one more, and uh, uh, we, you know, we're uh, maybe my favorite part of racing with those guys is I get to consider them my friends too. Some people race just to race. We're a big family, and uh, you know, I, I always joke about how you know, seems like some races can be won without ever leaving the pit area, and I, I feel like <laughs> we have that mojo. Um, you know, I, I my daughter was sick over the winter time. Four of my crew guys, four different crew guys texted or called me individually to make sure my daughter was doing okay you know it was just uh it's a great family i can't wait to be with them we uh, actually all got together back at the uh back at the shop in new york a couple weeks ago and it, i gave everybody a big hug just said man i missed my brothers it's uh um what a great group of guys i mean it was starting with steve boggs and you know tony assembling everybody and you know to me one of the huge huge pieces of the puzzle last year was the addition of troy green as car chief i mean troy is his background and nostalgia and nhra drag racing is just extensive he's been a driver he's been a crew chief he's got an engine shot i mean it's just he's he's the perfect piece um to kind of be that calming effect for everybody he knows every inch of that car and then uh and then the rest of the guys, I mean, I, I tell them, I said, we're all too dumb to quit. <laughs> that's a great, uh, it's a great way to put it. You know, one of the things uh, that gets said universally in sports, whether we're talking about racing or stick and ball sports, is that the hardest thing to do is to defend a championship. And I think that comes with the, you know, the realization that you become the watermark of success and everybody tries to kind of knock you off the pedestal. Well, you guys did it. So I guess, what did you learn from a championship defense and how does that help you to try to make this thing a three-peat? You know, the, and that's a really good point because it, it was a level of pressure I really had never felt before. I mean, we'd won some championships in nostalgia racing, but it's not not quite the same platform as NHRA drag racing. So, um, you know, when we uh, when we started the season last year, um, I, I mean, just the just the chess pieces that moved around in the top alcohol funny car class sure. to try to come get us. Look at Rick Jackson, Shane Westerfield. Yeah. Look at Johnny <laughs> yeah. Lindbergh, Brian Haug. I mean, these super teams developed. I'd like to think to try to come beat us. And, uh, and that has, that has only intensified into this year. Um, you know, a, a, a huge, a huge, uh, benefactor for me personally was having Tony Bartone. Tony's been a champion. Tony's been there and done that. He has won them. He has lost them. Um, he has had a, uh, uh, he has had a great influence on me and how I handle that sort of pressure and, and, and to the rest of the team, it's a trickle effect for everybody. So, um, you know, I, once again, to me, one of the biggest advantages we've got going into this season for 2020 is the fact that I got the same guys coming back because, like you said, now we've been there, we've felt that pressure, um, and they're only going to come harder this year. But, you know, Bob said, he goes, I've been working it all winter long. He goes, these kids are coming for me. He goes, i gotta <laughs> got to prove to him that the old man's still got some tricks. Oh, that's great. And uh, Lord knows he does. I'm sure, I'm sure we're still just scratching the surface of what that guy can do. He's an incredible man because, in my estimation, there are not many people that have – 
his level of talent, skill, and acumen for what he does, and also kind of maintain the personality type that he has, right? I mean, we all know the <laughs> we all know the really really super smart guy who you're kind of like afraid to get within six feet of, but Steve Boggs is not that guy. He is one of a kind to say the least. You know, we joke with each other. So, you know, we prop each other up. And uh, I actually uh, made some test hits in my dad's car last weekend and had some pretty good reaction times. And I, I sent the time slips to Boggs and said, hey, listen, my reaction times are there. I'm tired of propping you up, Boggs. <laughs> and, uh, you know, which he quickly replied with, don't forget who set the national record. Me. <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, but we uh, no, Steve is uh, he's a great guy. He'll tell you anything. But he's just that darn smart, and and he, uh, what a pleasure it is to drive for a guy like that. We have uh, really good communication, and you know, an alcohol funny car that the, the the way a driver drives the car is a big piece of the puzzle. It's it's more than just stab it and steer it, and um, and so the communication you have with your crew chief and how they want the car driven is really important. And I don't know, it just the, the way Steve's tune up is is i guess conducive to the way i drive the car because it, it just seems to work and you know when i mess up he's there and you know when he's behind a little bit hopefully i'm there too so it's uh, it's been really good and you know once again see no reason to change it now you mentioned uh, your your nostalgia drag racing days and those were those were good days as well i mean you're a multiple time good guys uh, series champion and for those that are listening that don't know sean drove front engine top fuel cars so this uh this is a guy that <laughs> you know I, I say that because i mean there's a great photo of you i think don uh Huseppian took it of i think you were just completely covered in oil the engine had, the engine had expired you're in the lights just covered in oil that experience of driving those front engine top fuel cars does any of that translate to a funny car i've always wanted to ask you about that yeah, uh, it makes you not afraid of anything. <laughs> uh, <you know? laughs> um, it, it's funny. I always joke about it. I say, you know, when people find out I drove a nostalgia top fuel car, they automatically want to de- deduct IQ points from me. <laughs> right. uh, it's uh, The nostalgia top fuel dragster is the ultimate assault on the senses. Um, it, the motor's in your face. There's nothing between you and the motor, motor but a little windscreen. Um, on a 12-inch tire with no downforce, and it's trying to run 540s. Yeah, go have fun with that. Yeah. Um, it, it, but at the same time, um, I, having been covered in oil a few times and been blown up and, you know, repainted my helmet a couple times due to engine <laughs> fires, um, I'll tell you what it does teach you, Brian, is it teaches you to really pay attention to the motor yeah. because you learn when to lift and when not to, because that motor is going to tell you if you don't do it first. Um, so, you know, it, it, I'll tell people anytime going down the drag strip, I, I did a little, did a little bit on junior drag racing, uh, over the winter time and, and, um, and in that interview, I said, you know, look at the champions out there. Look at the, the I yeah. call them kids or my age pushing 40. But, um, you know, the guys that came out of the junior drag racing series, they're kicking ass. And there's a reason for that. Um, you learn routines. You learn uh, competitiveness. You learn sportsmanship. There's a lot of benefits that come out of any kind of drag racing you do. Um, and I'll tell you, it, it from an intimidation factor I think I've never been more intimidated than driving a nostalgia top fuel car at some Podoc racetrack on a Friday night with the lights are terrible. Um, it, it, we're spoiled in NHRA drag racing, getting to drive this this Taj Mahal race car that Tony Bartone owns in Seed Bog Tunes. Um, <laughs> so in that respect, you bet I've learned a lot. Where uh, where's your favorite place to race the the alcohol funny car? Oh man, I hate when you put me on the spot like that. Um, <laughs> I love Norwalk. Sure, uh, you, had, you had success there last year, right? You won the uh, did you win the night under fire last year. Yep, yep, yeah, yep. You know the um, the Norwalk race is the way the Baiters run that that whole place. Family friendly. It's so much more than just 
the racetrack and the cars going down it. Um, it's the whole experience when you come through the gate there. You know, they call it America's racetrack, and I guess as a proud American, I just I stand tall and hold my head high when I come through that place. I love it there. I love Charlotte. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's uh, we get you know it, it's hard not to love places like Indy. I mean, Indy's Indy. You know, uh, but uh, but you know what? As of right now, I'd probably like to say Norwalk's probably my favorite. I would just have to imagine, you know, 2019, pretty incredible year in your in your drag racing life and in your personal life also. You kind of all interceded in one of the triumph of your national championship, the triumph of the High Speed Motorsports National Championship, and obviously having to step in to have a hand in that after uh, Tom Sheeler passed away. So, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to dredge up emotions here, but at the same time, you know, when you look back on the, the year that was in 2019, I... I can't imagine the range of emotions you experienced in really not that long a period of time. Yeah, I mean, you, you you got it right. I mean, my wife, my wife and I were actually just talking about this recently, and what a year it was. Um, you know, it, it's it, <clears throat> I don't want to ever call racing easy. It's never easy, but 2018 that championship was easier than 2019's was. So we just you know we never had any setbacks. Well, in 2019 we. You know, we hit a few we hit a few roadblocks along the way from the funny car standpoint, and we had to claw a little bit and, and fight for it. And and you know what? That in the end, I mean, it worked out for us. But that's fun, you know. Um, and and then you know we got that shocking news that Tom had passed away. And Tom was so much more than a a crew chief. He was my boss for yeah. over 15 years. My wife's boss. My wife works there too. Um, we had worked side by side on the high speed car. I drove the high speed car. I mean, it, it just long, long standing relationship on many, many levels. Uh, and going forward and finishing what Tom had started, um, was not only one of the most rewarding things I've ever done personally. Um, it was also one of the scariest. I, I don't know. I talked, I told my dad and Boggs both. I said, I don't know how you crew chiefs do it. I've lost more <laughs> sleep, more hair, gray hair. I said, you know, I, I, when I'm driving, I'm in control. I push the pedal down. I said, when, uh, when you got that, uh, when you got that, that, that feeling in your stomach while you're standing on the starting line watching Mindy take that high speed car down the racetrack, um, what a scary feeling that is. But, um, boy, did I, you know what? I, I became a better driver because of it. I became a better racer because of it. The experience really was, um, one of a kind for me. And, um, I, Every time I got done with it, I I just kind of take a moment by myself and look to the sky and and you know, think Tom would be proud. Yeah, I think he would too. I think uh, you know the way that the the entire group uh, from Mendy in the seat to to the rest of you guys taking care of business there was was exactly what the doctor ordered and uh, pretty pretty amazing tribute to uh, a guy that I know you've, like you said you had a, a very long standing relationship with. So if we can uh, if we can look out over the landscape of the alcohol funny car category, who does Sean Bellamure, who gets your attention right now in terms of uh, the major threats? You brought up, of course, uh, Doug Gordon working with Johnny Lindbergh. You talked about Rick Jackson and Shane Westerfield. Are those your kind of two major league, you think, competitors, or are there others lurking in the, uh, lurking in the ocean out there? You know, um, Doug Gordon is the one I think of right off the bat. Uh, he's due. He's fast. They got that that major sponsor. You always have that motivation when you got people to impress. Um, Doug is a hell of a driver. Uh, and before they crashed that car in Vegas last year, Doug was on a terror. I mean, that yes. car they had found that problem, uh, and they are going to be to make their presence known. Um, 
Doug is the one that, like I said, they're due. I mean, you know, it's almost a running joke on social media right now how many finals they've gotten beat oh, in a row. Oh, it's insane. They're, it's insane. They're going to go – yeah, it's stupid. They're going to go on a winning streak, and unfortunately the rest of us, I feel, are going to be in their way. <laughs> um, so I'm hoping we can stop them. But, you know, Shane's always tough. Um, there's nobody, nobody that can outdrive Shane. Uh, Brian Haug's tough. Johnny Lindbergh is a great tuner. Um, and then, you know, I got to tell you, I think there's some of those cars that – Reek consistency. Uh, Matt Gill. Matt, Matt Gill, Gill yeah. found a lot of 540s late in the year last year. Um, um, you know, uh, DJ Cox has run really well. Um, you know, how do you say a conversation like this without talking about Annie Whiteley? 100%. You know, Annie and, and the Strasburgs and all that. I mean, I mean it's just – it's so tough. Um, I, I look forward to the challenge. They're all great racers. Um, we've got a great big giant curveball this year in the four-wide stuff. That's going to be neat. Um, yeah, I can't wait. I, I cannot wait to see you guys. I cannot wait to see that because it's kind of like the last frontier of stuff we haven't seen yet, and it's always really, really cool. And you know, other than pro mods, and all normally all four of them aren't on the deck when they leave. Like it's going to be the first <laughs> time we actually see four cars coming in, you know, coming off the bell housing off the starting line. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, and you know, mixing a couple converter cars there, I'm, I'm guessing there's going to be a little controversy too. <laughs> and, uh, yes, uh, you know, I just I I. I I'm look. I'm looking forward to that. I'm hoping that NHRA markets it to where you know it gets people excited about it because it is really exciting for the sport. And you know, I, I tell people alcohol funny cars the last real hot rod in NHRA drag race. I shouldn't say last. It's the fastest true hot rod in NHRA drag race. You, you got to shift it. You got to sh- yeah. shift them. Yeah, and then here's the part a lot of people forget about. You got to stop the damn thing when you're done. <laughs> um, you know, which doesn't always go according to plan. So. Um, the four wide thing is going to be really neat. Um, it's going to be it's going to be a, a spectacle for sure, and uh, and probably a little bit of chaos. But hey, you know who doesn't love a little chaos? Uh, that's a fact. I know. It's, uh, <laughs> listen, as uh, as a I like to call myself a paid spectator on the TV show. We love ourselves a little bit of chaos. So, <laughs> <laughs> hey, Sean, I really appreciate it uh, taking the time out of your trip here. I wish you all the best down at Gainesville, not only this week, but uh, when I get down there to see a race uh, next week as well at the national event. So, congrats on the back-to-back championships, and uh, why don't you go ahead and try to do it again? Appreciate it, Brian. I'll see you soon, then. Yes, sir. Thanks, Sean. One of the true good guys in the sport of NHRA drag racing, Sean Bellamure, kind of preaching the truth there and giving us his outlook not only on what happened or will happen in 2020, what happened in 2019. Good dude and a great team that uh, they're all going to try to dethrone as this 2020 season gets going. So a little bit of a bonus deal for you here at the end of this podcast. I put something together that I think is kind of fun. And what this is is a little audio trip through Pat Dakin's Day of Eliminations at the 1977 Gator Nationals. Pat Dakin will be racing at the Gator Nationals this year, and to my knowledge, he's the only guy that have been has been competing since that 1977 race. We know that John Forrest ran the 1977 Winter Nationals, but Pat Dakin ran the 1977 Gators and went on to be the runner-up in points for the year behind Shirley Muldowney. He was actually number two in the standings at the end of 1977. So the next thing you're going to hear is a compilation of the runs made on Sunday by Pat Dakin at the 1977 Gator Nationals, and it's all brought to you by the silky tones of Mr. Dave Big Mac McClellan. The rain-delayed eliminations finally underway here at the 77 Gator Nationals. This is Pat Dakin from New Carlisle, Ohio. The competition, Frank Bradley from Napa, California. Dakin building an early lead. Can he hold on? 
and he does by about a car length. Grant Stoms from East Brunswick, New Jersey, getting pushed back after his burnout. This is the brand new car of G.L. Rupp and Pat Dakin. Rupp and Dakin team finishing the car just in time for this Gator Nationals event. Unlettered, practically unpainted at the moment. Pat Dakin doing very well coming into this quarterfinal round. All cars are being powered now in top fuel at this event by an aluminum racing engine. Three different types in use here, the Keith Black, the Mylodon, and the only Donovan in the field, that's Pat Bacon. Grant Stobbs appears to have a brief lead off the starting line, but Pat Bacon with a car link victory at the finish, a fine 6.06 second elapsed time, his speed 236 miles an hour. The brand new car of G.L. Rupp and Pat Dakin. Getting pushed back as these cars not using reverse gears. They have no reverse in the transmission. Again, you can see those tires grow, and that's about the posture of the race car as it goes through the traps at 240 to 250 miles an hour. The crew pushing Pat Dakin back to the starting line. And it appears that Clayton Harris has shut off his engine. The unbelievable string of red lights by his opponents has finally run out. The severe stress on his engine parts, just a bit too much. Clayton Harris not making it to the starting line. It's Pat Bacon on the single run in the semi. 6.21 seconds his elapsed time. His speed 223 miles an hour. As a dejected Clayton Harris being pushed back into the pits. Came a long ways on the mistakes of his competitor, Shirley Muldowney, in round one. And in round number two, Tom Kaiser with the red light. In the pits, Frank Farino. Pat Dakin, we've come all the way down to the wire in a race that's been filled with a lot of problems, not the least of which has been the weather. And here it comes down to the top fuel finals, Pat Dakin and Don Carlitz. How do you feel? Well, I feel good about going into it. The uh, car's been performing quite well, and uh, we haven't had any major problems with it. And uh, we'll just give it our best shot. That's all we can do. You know, Don becomes such a legendary favorite that when you go in, is there a psychological factor? Or are you going in there just to win the race and not worrying about who's sitting in that next lane? I'm going in purely to win the race. I, it doesn't matter who I'm racing against. People who try just a little too hard against him, the ones that mess up. I'm just going to do my own race, do the best I can. That's all I can do. Pat, good luck. Thank you, sir. Pat Dagan. Dave? Frank, thank you very much. As the darkness really begins to set in now, it is top fuel eliminator final. Pat Dakin in GL Rupp's car and Don Garland. You can see the header flames standing very tall off of both these engines. Don Garland has got to be the sentimental favorite with his huge crowd on hand that very patiently waited through the thunderstorms this morning and through some great racing to reach this point for the finals. Super slow motion, you can see each individual cylinder firing at idle. And then the flame standing tall as tall as the tires in the burnout by Don Garland. Garland and Dakin, the two cars remaining after 16 started eliminations here at the 77 Gator Nationals. Both cars now approaching the starting line. Their burnout's completed. Pat Dakin in the far lane. 
in the near lane, Big Daddy himself, Don Garland. together, Dakin beginning to drift across the track. Garland straight through the quarter mile. Six seconds flat. His speed, 243 miles an hour for Don Garland. Here in slow motion, you'll see what happened right there. Pat Dakin just momentarily varying from the straight path down that quarter mile, having to lift, and that was enough to allow Don Garland to head to the win. Six seconds flat, 243 miles an hour. Here's Frank once again. Don Garlitz, he did it. Six flat, 233. He took a car out of the museum, they kept saying all weekend to do it. Didn't seem to matter one bit. Let's let him get on out of this. Don, congratulations. Thank you very much. It's uh, been an exciting day. It's been a day plagued by all kinds of troubles, the weather, mechanical problems, and yet they kept saying that you took this car out of the museum to come and run, and you didn't seem to have any problems at all with it. Well, the car has responded tremendously. The engine's been running real well, and it is true, the car had been in the museum for two years. In the meantime now, they're talking about Big Daddy coming out of retirement. Is it true? Well, I'm here. What else can I say, right? Congratulations again. Thank you very much. It's really been a nice day. Don Garlitz, 1977 top fuel champion at the Gator Nationals. Back to you, Dave. And our congratulations, too, to Don Garland. We'll be back at the Gator Nationals in just a moment. So that was Pat Dakin in 1977, and if you come to the Gator Nationals March 12th to the 16th, you'll be able to see him again in Gainesville, Florida, going far faster than he ever did back in the 70s in a modern top fuel dragster. Not just a legend, an active legend still in the sport. Thanks for tuning in to this extended episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Lone. It's been fun to catch up with three great racers, three great conversations, and a little trip back into NHRA history. We'll be back into NHRA Gator Nationals prep mode next week. Make sure you tune in to get the full scoop as to who's going to be there at the 51st running of the Amelie Oil Gator Nationals and who you should pay attention to during eliminations. Thanks for listening. See you next time.